first, Know Thyself, a deep dive into leadership with John Brandenberger. Hello and welcome back to Live, Learn, Lead. Welcome to the end of the year. I hope you're looking forward to Christmas, regardless of what's going on in the UK right now, with all the lockdown laws and everything else changing around us. It's still a time to come together, be grateful, love life and reflect a little bit before we go into 2021. This week on the show, we have John Brendenberger from the US. He's an incredible guest. He drops so many wisdom bombs into this episode. Honestly, I have struggled to cut very much time out of it. I think I've managed to edit this down by about a minute and a half because there's just so much amazing content in here. Why? Well, John is an incredible human being. Firstly, he exemplifies servant leadership. So really a man after my own heart. And he is not what you would classically think of when you think of leadership. But he brilliantly demonstrates it in a very artful, easy to understand way. He was born in the Bronx in New York. He graduated from high school and went directly into the workforce and has never had a college or university degree. He's worked for the service industry for his entire professional life and had multiple businesses in that time. He's founded record labels, owned nightclubs, managed artists, music promoters, had small business consultation and leadership development companies, done real estate investment, and is currently a bakery owner for the Community Bakery, which we talk about in this episode. It's a fantastic concept. I absolutely love it. His last career was with a multi-billion dollar organization for nearly 300 locations in the States, and he helped develop the onboarding and training in that company, as well as the mentoring and development for future leaders in the organization. So if we're talking leadership, John definitely has a pedigree. He definitely knows what he's talking about, and that comes through hard and fast in this episode. John is one of the first people I have ever heard say that if you want to change something in your life, you do not necessarily have to have a goal to go towards. Sometimes you can have a goal to go away from. You don't necessarily have to know where you want to end up. You just have to know where you don't want to end up. So we in this episode talk about how we can let our pain, our discomfort, or our fear of what might happen if we stay where we are, guide us how we can learn from others' mistakes, how we can have difficult and challenging conversations with ourselves, our families, and our employees or our workforce, and exactly what it is we're gonna need moving into 2021. This is a longer episode. You probably wanna have a pen and paper and maybe even listen to it a few times because there's so much goodness in here. I'm really, really excited. I know I'm not supposed to have any favorites and I have loved all of the guests that have come on this show this year and who have given so freely and deeply into it so that people can learn from their stories. But honestly, John has been one of my favorite guests on this show so far. And I hope when you hear this episode, you will understand why. So, hi, I am here with John. 
and I'm going to allow you to introduce yourself in a minute, but I am super excited about this episode. There's so many things we can talk about, um, but how about you just kind of introduce a little bit about yourself and why you're passionate about leadership? So my name is John Brandenberger, um, obviously located in the uh, states of the United, uh, across the pond, so to speak. Um, I've been in leadership and development for, wow, it's, I know it's over three decades, so 30 plus years. Um, I'm from New York originally, uh, just grew up on the East Coast and then um, lived in the, the central part of the States. Uh, my family moved. And really, I my journey is is probably not that different than than most of your listeners or most folks that are in the leadership realm now. You know, I've, I've pretty much been working since about the age of 15, 16. I went, you know, I graduated high school and uh, really never pursued a higher education, which is, you know, thought of as a critical component here in the States of success. You have to have higher education. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that that's accurate um, for myself. I've never had that schooling. So I've just been working since I, like I said, I was 15. And, and just have been able to grow and evolve and develop over time, just through various situations, circumstances, handful of mentors along the way, and a whole lot of what not to do is how I've kind of fleshed out and built my, my current leadership uh, style, so to speak. But, yeah. you know, I, I believe that leadership is, it's, to me, is the ultimate calling for a human, because it's... If you're a true servant leader, it's really never about you. It's about those that you are responsible for. You know, I always say I'm I'm the steward. I have to protect those that I'm responsible for, um, and that that can be challenging, but ultimately incredibly fulfilling. <laughs> so. I mean, I love that. First of all, I just I'm totally about servant leadership as well as bringing in a couple of other styles. But I, I truly believe if you are leading people, it has to be about them, not about you. Um, and obviously right. about the business as well and what's best for the business. But ultimately, your humans being happy is going to make the business do well. So, yeah, absolutely. It's the same in any relationship, Natalie. I mean, if your partner or partners or family members, whoever is closest to you, if they feel good about not only who they are, number one, but mm -hmm. then subsequently feel good about who you are. They're more understanding of your flaws. They're more accepting of your flaws and your shortcomings and your errors. And um, it's it, to me, it serves in all facets of your life, whether it's in a leadership role predominantly or just in relationships in general, uh, personal, professional. Uh, I, I look at all of them as the same, so to speak. Yeah, and I think you've just touched there on something that we've talked about sort of off air before, and this podcast is very much about in that leadership isn't just that role of being a manager, being a CEO, being a boss. You can lead in any walk of your life, and that's, you know, with your friends, with your family, and you can dip in and out of that role as well. So I think that's really key to highlight. Absolutely, and I, and I tell folks all the time, especially the current group of folks that I'm responsible for, Leadership is not a light switch. It's not something you turn off and on. And I do agree, you can go in and out of the role because I really firmly believe great leaders know how to follow. They mm -hmm. don't always have to be at the front, um, but it's never, it's to me, Natalie, it's not something you can shut off. Once you've developed this true servant leadership side of yourself, you're constantly in leadership mode. 
I mean, you just you just are. How do I serve others? How do I uplift others? Um, am I supporting them? And more importantly, am I setting the pace or setting the example to to those that I steward and those that I lead? Yeah. And I mean, before we dive into that, because I've got so many questions for you on what you consider leadership and particularly on the things of not to do. I think you touched on that just a second ago. And it's so important is to highlight the learnings from what not to do um, and how we're driven and all those kinds of things. But I noticed on the list of many, many jobs you've given me, <laughs> which include like producing a record label, being a CEO, um, managing a nightclub, being a music promoter, working with um, small business owners. You also have with your, your wife, I believe, the community bakery. Correct, correct. And yeah. community bakery is a brand here in our city that it's actually existed 74 years. Now, I, I will tell you, we did not start the brand. First off, I'm not that old. Um, and it's not in my family, but it's a brand that we identified as a, a really important, um, well, brand within the city because of how it serves the, the the total community. It's not just in its name; it's located in downtown in our city in Little Rock, and it's right on the edge of a neighborhood as well as a business district. So we have this really unique. Uh, influx of customers that are businessmen or businesswomen, business folks, and, you know, people that live in the neighborhood. So there's a combination of, you know, homeless, um, CEOs, attorneys, doctors, um, you know, lawyer, I mean, anything. And <laughs> it, it, it's all in this one bakery. And it's always, it always had fascinated me how they bring all these different people and lifestyle types and you know demographics so to speak i truly feel in the entire city of little rock it's the only restaurant or bakery or cafe because we're also a cafe that we truly serve all all people um and so my wife had grown up she's from this town i'm not from here but my wife had grown up on this brand so when we had the opportunity to purchase it we leapt, we jumped on it because we knew that it was so important to the city. However, we knew that we could live our personal missions of service through this brand. I mean, what better way to service people than to literally serve them, right? Their scones and their espresso. And, you know, there's a real power in food service, I believe, mm -hmm. which I'm sure waiters, waitresses, People, you know, cooks might argue that and say, well, you, my experience in food service <laughs> is different than yours, John. But I will tell you, if you if you approach it, Natalie, from a servant leadership perspective, I really don't know that I could find another career or business where I can serve on this level. I physically take food to people and mm -hmm. greet them and hand them their things and talk to them and engage them and um, yeah, it's just really, really powerful. And we have 50 some odd employees, many of which have been there, you know, over a decade, 10, 15, we have a 20 year uh, employee. So it, it's just such an incredible brand that we feel honored to steward. Um, and when we purchased it, we did not tell the community. So it, it, it would be a big deal if we had shared it with everyone that this brand has been around 74 years, sold to someone else. The previous owner, Mr. Fox, owned it for 35 years. Wow. Um, but we, we, we did not want this to be about us. We mm -hmm. 
adamantly feel that this brand belongs to the city, to the community. So we really didn't want to, you know, muddy the waters by putting yeah. our name all over it. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And, you know, talking about service, one of my first jobs, I did a paper round when I was 14, then when I was old enough and allowed to, um, I worked in a restaurant. And to this day, it was possibly one of the jobs I enjoyed the most, despite it being hot and you know, having grumpy people and particularly on like a really hot day in the UK, we, we do a roast dinner. So it's like a big cooked bit of meat, loads of potatoes, like all the ovens on and people would want this in the middle of summer. And you're like, why? Yeah. <laughs> but I loved it and I loved it. And it was for that reason. It was so easy to make people happy. And, yeah. you know, just little things like noticing people with a kid and kind of guessing the age and saying, do you want a little bowl and spoon so they can have a bit or offering to warm a bottle or noticing someone's favorite table so when they're booking and they get to the regular would you like your table kind of thing all of that yeah. is to make people feel seen and heard and I loved it I'd go back well and my I, mortgage. <laughs> I, I love how you're how you're talking about that Natalie because leadership is the same mindset when you notice the little things uh, little ways of complimenting people, little ways of lifting them up, little uh, even the assignments you give your staff. Like when you know, an example, if I knew Natalie really loves to make biscuits, and you may not, I'm just guessing, you oh, kind of look do. like a biscuit, actually, a biscuit like person. <laughs> um, and if the fact that I would bring you in on that and say, hey, let's collaborate. I have an idea on a new recipe. You know, that just gets you that much more engaged in the process. So, um, I really believe those of us that are in the service industry, whether it be in a leadership capacity or purely in like food service or retail, um, it should never be about us. And unfortunately, I believe now, granted, I've done this for over 30 some odd years, people in the service industry who are miserable, they're in the wrong industry because the reason they're miserable is it's, they're making it about themselves. It's really hard to be in a crabby, craggy mindset when it's when it's not about you right uh, if, if i make your experience my number one priority it's hard for me to get upset even if you're grumpy you know because it's <laughs> it's like a chess match to me right so like how, how you know, do I'm i try this grumpiness yes how do i get natalie in the right mindset so she can enjoy these biscuits so anyway i love i love that you worked in the food service industry i think it's critical that all humans have some time in the service industry Mm -hmm. uh, whether it be food service, retail, um, you know, serving others at, you know, food banks or, you know, homeless shelters. I just think that's so critical. Yeah. Oh, love it. And I guess that kind of leads us into, you, you've touched on some of them, but with all that experience, with all these roles that you've taken straight out of, you know, straight out of school, as we would call it, into work, and you said leadership's been part of your whole life. What do you feel of the most essential components for leadership? What would you say was vital for anybody stepping into a leadership role? Well, uh, part of my background, though, I never personally experienced. Uh, many of the males in my family were in the military. So some of my values are rooted in these um, kind of military-centric mindset. So the first thing, and, th and this is a, a, mili a militaristic approach, but not in, in a bad way, um, number one, you have to have clarity. You have to be extremely clear with, with who you are as a person and where you're wanting to go. So I always tell all young leaders, even older leaders, and I guess young could be older folks who are just now having to experience a leadership role for the first time. Um, you know, it's funny, being responsible for yourself is 
very, very simple. Being responsible for other folks is extremely terrifying at first if you've never done it. So having clarity, that's so important. That's the first fundamental. You know, the second thing I would say is, you know, having consistency, you know, that that is so crucial for leading others. If you're a hot mess one day, Natalie, and then you're, you know, super calm and together the next day, that's very, uh, very disturbing for those that you lead. Um, give you an example. Sorry. Well, what I was, no, it's okay. What I was going to say, I'll give you an example of that. I've worked for leaders that quite honestly were, were, were just dictators. They were, you know, super aggressive. They didn't care what you thought it was their way or the highway, but because they were consistent, I actually could, could rally to that. Cause I knew, okay, here comes crazy Natalie and she's, <laughs> you know, and her, her, you know, uh, martial arts background. She's very disciplined. She wants it her way or the highway. My brain can adjust to that. But it's when Natalie suddenly becomes undisciplined, right? Or as a basket case one day because she's crying because her dog ran away and she can't seem to get over it. My brain has a harder time connecting to that or even trusting that leader because I don't want know what to expect with you. So I really think that consistency is critical. Um, and then the last discipline that I practice as a leader is actually the word discipline. And I can, and, and it's not disciplining your people. It's me doing, Natalie, what I tell you that I'm going to do. So an example, if I say, hey, Natalie, I'm going to follow up with you in an hour. It is critical that I follow up with you in an hour. Mm -hmm. Something as simple as that is not, if, or for me not to maintain uh, my word to you starts to break down trust. But these are simple. Um, they're really rooted in military mindset, you know, clarity, uh, consistency, and discipline. Those are the three qualities I think are crucial for um, uh, practices, at least, for a leader. Mm. So I love what you're saying. And you said it there, like, it sounds like all three of those are almost being able to trust yourself and for somebody else to be able to trust you who's going to show up are they going to do what I need them to do do I know how to serve them so even when you're talking about you know with a very dictator or, or real leader it's almost like well I know what you're expecting I know what you want from me I know how to work with you so it's coming from that service right. mindset I guess my question is authenticity is a really big thing particularly coming into real life and in that first component knowing who you are and how you're going to show up how do you be authentic and be consistent <laughs> well and so first off uh, and perhaps authenticity means something a little bit different to me number one because I'm a male so I probably look at it a little bit differently but in my opinion um, Natalie when you're really clear on who you are as a person. You know what your mission is as a person. You know how you want to deliver value to others as a servant leader. That is your authenticity. You know, mm -hmm. authenticity also, the flip side to that is vulnerability. I'm clear on who I am, but I'm also, I'm a male. Um, I can be a knucklehead at times. I'm emotional at times. You know, I can, I can go through these different phases because I'm human. I'm flawed just as everyone else is. The difference is, is I can identify those things and I can own those things. So when I am flawed, um, I want it to be at, at a place where my team trusts me enough so they can say, hey, John, that 
that really hurt my feelings when you did this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so going back to the authenticity side, I think where people's inability to be authentic is when they're just not clear who they are. If you're not clear on who you are, and you're having to adjust who you are to become who you think your people need you to be, there, there's a real danger in that because you can't keep up that facade. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that old saying, like, you know, people who lie or are dishonest, they have to continually lie to cover up other lies. Well, then you forget your lies. So, I, you know, I tell people, don't lie. Be who you are. Be authentic. Um, and if your mindset is to deliver value, if you're around the right people, they're going to accept that. I, I will tell you, Natalie, I'm extremely flawed. If you talk to my <laughs> wife, I'm sure she would. I'm sure she would point out at least the John's top ten flaws uh, as a leader, as a husband, as a father. Uh, but you know, she she also trusts me and knows what my intent is, mm-hmm. and because I'm incredibly consistent. Um, she, she can accept all those flaws in me. And, and to me, part of leadership is servant leadership. And I'm sure you know this because you practice it. Once I know, Natalie, if I'm your steward and I'm responsible for you and I have failed you in some sort of way, not only is that heartbreaking to me, but it, it, I become obsessed in, in overcoming that and delivering you value, which mm-hmm. in turn makes me a better leader. You know, I've, I've told many young leaders because I've, I've coached and trained and mentored, I mean, thousands of people over my 30 plus years, you know, working in retail, some of my teams, I had teams upwards of 700 people I was responsible for, which is a lot of people. And I, yeah. and I was not a C-suite person. I was just a manager. I was a leader. But I would tell t- people all the time, Natalie, you have to be able to listen to your people to understand how to become a great leader. If you, if I was working with you, Natalie, I would tell you, you will learn more about leadership from your people. If you're listening, then you will learn from me as I am telling you, mm-hmm. because you've got to be in tune with your, with your folks, with your team, with, with those that you're responsible for. So going back to your authenticity, trying to bring this full circle, I think <laughs> authenticity is critical because people want to feel like they really get a sense of this is who Natalie is. If it's a facade, right, or a charade, or you're pretending to be something you're not, especially women, you all, I think, are great at sniffing that out and knowing this is not who this person is. And then immediately when you realize that, your level of trust severely diminishes, right? You're not going to mm-hmm. trust somebody that you just think something is not right with this person. Yeah, right. Like, there's something you're not telling me. I don't necessarily right. feel safe around that. To- totally hear yeah. you. Okay, yeah. so I think that's really important to unpick. Thank you, because I think quite often people hear about authenticity and consistency, and then they hear what they feel is a conflicting message of be vulnerable, be open, be real, be human, and they're like, well, how can I be both things? And then that's where the hot mess ends up, right? That's where you get like <laughs> crazy that I've lost my dog and I'm sharing all of my emotional pain with my team, and then the next day I'm t- totally closed off. So I think that's really important to have unpacked. And I guess to summarise, it's kind of knowing yourself being able to own your mistakes and be vulnerable isn't about opening the floodgates isn't about being up and down and it's not being consistent isn't about never having those vulnerabilities or those flaws it's about being aware of them owning them and kind of dealing with them in a consistent and level way is that 
right? Yeah, I, I love the way you put that because quite honestly, my team makes me better. Not because they execute the tasks that I ask them, because they hold me to a standard mm -hmm. that only they can hold me to. You know, we as, as individuals often um, kind of let down our personal standards, right? Especially in servant leadership. One of our flaws is it's always about everybody else. So I will work extremely hard to take care of you. And then I will neglect my eating. I won't work out. You know, I won't do all these things that take care of me. But if you have a great connection with your team and you do listen to them and you are authentic and you ask for feedback. Mm -hmm. In fact, I tell my team all the time, Natalie, you have to hold me accountable. Hold me accountable. If I'm not meeting your standards or expectations, then number one, I'm not clear on what those are. Or number two, I'm human and I'm I'm just not meeting the standard. You have to hold me accountable. Yeah. And I think that authenticity of telling people up front, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not perfect. I'm not <laughs> here to save everyone. I'm here to guide us, but we're not going to get to where we want to go without all of us being invested in this process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, servant leadership is not a new concept, uh, but it's now gaining. Whole big yes. times and all of that. <laughs> yes, yes. But it's now gaining momentum in the leadership world, right? Because everyone, I mean, who doesn't want to be known as a servant leader? It's so selfless, right? Like it's just incredible to be known as that. Uh, but unfortunately, many leaders are not servant leaders. Um, they preach it and they want to become that, but because they're not authentic, because they're not clear on who they are, um, it's harder for them to get to that point. But I love your analogy of, of, of you know, you, you're, go, you're human, you're frail. It's okay. It, it is okay to shed a tear every once in a while. But one of the reasons I don't share when my dog runs away, and I've had personal experience with that, is I feel me blubbering on about my issues now makes it about me. Mm -hmm. And a servant leader does not do that. I want to make it fully about you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, you know, I have a wife who can listen to me cry and blubber on about my dog and my personal <laughs> problems. That's not for my team to hear. Yeah. Um, and, and I think your team will appreciate that, that you're not always bringing your personal baggage to, to the workspace because you know they are. Mm -hmm. And so that's oh, yeah. going to happen. You know, that old saying, and I love it when I, I crack up when I hear people say, you got to leave your problems at the door. <laughs> well, you can't because your problems are in your head. And part of why we've hired you is for your brain. You can't compart you can't truly compartmentalize all those issues. So don't leave your problems, but create a workspace and an environment where carrying those problems is okay, but we can work and talk through those things quickly, mm -hmm. but then really get focused on the matter at hand. Because at the end of the day, we all want to add value to people's lives. Um, and when we're always stuck in our personal problems, like we become baggage and a kind of a drain on people and nobody wants that really. No. So it's, it's that level, isn't it? Of, um, I think Brene says it quite well. You don't want to up, open the floodgates, but it's like there if people want to see it kind of thing. Yeah. You can turn on the spigot a little bit and a little bit drips out and they realize you're human. Yeah. Um, but you don't go on, you don't do a, a meeting with your team and talk for an hour about like your, your brother whom you have issues with <laughs> or your neighbor. That's not what you should do. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that brings us nicely into fear because one of the things I've really noticed, and you have a line on your 
your, your um, profile picture on Facebook about fear as well. I think we have similar but slightly different views on it. But a lot of the time I hear about imposter syndrome, I hear about people not feeling confident as a new leader, feeling like they have to have all of the answers and then, oh my gosh, what if they find out I don't know? And particularly when they have team members who are very, very experienced in what they're doing or more experienced than them, this conflict comes up, this fear of what if I'm not good enough? What if I can't do this? What if they find me out? So how do you think it shows up and what do you think are the best ways of overcoming those fears? Because those are very normal human fears, right? Right, they are. And well, uh, the, the profile pic you're talking about, the saying is that fear is an assassin. So mm-hmm. fear to me is the killer of dreams, right? It's the, it's, it kills, you know, my wife told me early on when we first got together, you know, she said, you know, sometimes you have to give up who you are to become who you're meant to be. And there's a long story for that. And we only have a short period of time. That could be a whole other podcast. My wife's, my wife's brilliance and and her guiding me in my evolution as a, as a human. Um, But what really struck me is that, you know, we are so caught up in who we believe we are, that when fear gets into it, which is common, because that's, we all have it. Our primal brain is always looking for danger. That actually prevents us from becoming the person that we're meant to be, to evolve into. So uh, when you when you talk about imposter syndrome, I've dealt with that on a personal level me- m- multiple times, me personally. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to put my what I, there and say lots, a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, I will tell you, it's not just uh, relegated to female leaders. There are many male leaders who also mm-hmm. suffer from this imposter syndrome. I know one thing for me, Natalie, um, I go into everything when I'm unsure of myself or I'm not 100% sure that I have answers, I declare my ignorance right up front. Okay, now I don't say I'm ignorant. Well, actually I have said that before. I use the word knucklehead a lot um, but for myself. But I will tell someone, you know, Natalie, it's obvious to me that you've got the jillions of years of experience in this. So I would be a fool to come in here to tell you what to do. I really need to, I really need you to mentor me so that I understand not only your position, but why we do things the way we do. And in your opinion, what do you think? How do you think we should do it? Are there ways to improve this process? Well, right off the bat, Natalie, as a leader, if I came in and said that to you or my new team, I've instantly taken all the pressure off of me in the sense of, oh, they're looking to me to have all the answers, okay? Um, it now puts all the pressure back on you for you to perform and really step up and show me what you're capable of. Um, and then we, it, we've, we've shifted mentally the role, like now I'm asking you, Natalie, to mentor me even though I'm your leader. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, in some of the things I've done, like in dance and in martial arts, totally have had that happen a lot. Um, I even had some of my students surpass me and then teach me. And we've all had this, like, awkward moment. <laughs> like, all their yeah. students don't quite know why they're deferring to me because they're clearly the high yeah. brain. Like, all right, we've got history. Um, but yeah. I think that's, that's challenging for people to be comfortable with. So what would you say, like, stepping into that? To be able to step into putting your hand up and go, you know what, you you clearly know more than me. Is that just letting go of this belief you need to be the best, you need to have the answers? Is it as simple as that? Well, 
I, I think so. But but here, let me let me say this. I think going into a leadership role, number one, part of clarity is also having clarity on what the objectives are for that role and or that organization or the group. Right. Mm-hmm. So if our objective is to be the best bakery um, in the city, well, then I'm pretty clear on 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 what I've got to do. Um, if, if it's to be the the highest profiting or highest margining bakery, then it's a slightly different approach, right? But I think often leaders go into opportunities, especially when they're first promoted or they get a new team, they're just not 100% clear on what the objectives are. So I, w- I would tell you, Natalie, if you said, hey, I got a new role at work, they just promoted me into this team, I'm so excited. One of the first things I would ask you is, well, hey, that's great. Well. How do you know you're going to be successful in that role? Which would probably cause some fear. Well, oh my gosh, I don't know. And then I would say, well, no, Natalie, you need to ask your superiors, how do they gauge success for this role? Like yeah. you have to have clear performance indicators, um, 3% increase in this, 2% reduction in this. We call those KPIs. Mm-hmm. Something your brain can physically attach to, not just a feeling, but an actual number. Um, like, and yeah. I think- Isn't it? So it's like- Yes, yes. So we've got to, we've got to get clear on, on our measurables. And, and even if you're not clear, and this has happened to me multiple times, I'm sure for you and many of your listeners, when you get a promotion, they hand you the keys and say, all right, you start Monday Bye. and that's it. And then they walk <laughs> yeah. out. Good luck. Um, so then I would use it as an opportunity when I came in Monday, you know, introducing myself, but really just getting to know the team. Hey, tell me about your experience, Natalie. What do you love most about your job here, your mm-hmm. role? Okay, now that you've told me all this, because, you know, they're going to tell you what they think you want to hear. Now let's get real, Natalie. If we could do something different, in your opinion, that would make not only your job easier, but the rest of your team's job easier, what would that be? Mm-hmm. And when you get your people into this collaborative mindset, it actually takes pressure off you because if you remember something I just said earlier, you will learn more about leadership if you listen to those that you are responsible for as opposed to those that you report to. If you know what kinds of questions to ask, Natalie, people will tell you exactly not only how to make them happy, but how to be successful in your role. But you have to know what kinds of questions to ask. And then you have to be open to hearing those questions. And answers, <laughs> so right? like you ask a question, you're like, I don't want that answer. Not that one. Choose a different one. <laughs> yes, but but does that make sense? So I think does, the yeah. fear side and the imposter side comes from not having clarity of the mission, right? Um, and if you make your the mission about your personal accomplishments, I think you're more likely to have imposter syndrome than if you make the accomplishments about the job, not your mm-hmm. job, but your team's um, uh, success. Does that make sense? Because if I'm saying I want to become the CEO and that's all I'm caring about, I want to get this job because this job is just a stepping stone to the next job. Well, unfortunately, who is that about, Natalie? It's about yourself. Yeah. So it, it you are going to be more likely to have imposter syndrome because it'll be quickly figured out that this is a short-term thing to you. You have really no interest in learning any of the people here or the processes. This is just a stepping stone for you to get to the next position. And I've actually worked with leaders like that who flat out told me, now that I'm your boss, hey, let me just be straight. I'm going to get in and get out. My goal is to be gone in six months. Well, number one, 
how committed are you to that role? And number two, how committed are you to me when this is automatically, you're telling me it's about you? Like that to me is very dangerous. So I think how you overcome that imposter syndrome to kind of wrap this up or at least answer it, it's just be clear on what the expectations of the role are. But then secondly, what the expectations of the team, mm-hmm. you know, the team you're going to be leading, what are their expectations? How can you best serve them? That those are two critical components of moving past that imposter syndrome. Yeah. Okay. That's really helpful. And I guess in there you can have your own goals, but again, if you're really serving and you're clear on that and it goes back to knowing yourself, knowing your mission, etc., then that really helps. So I've got a couple of questions for you before we sort of like yeah. come to a close on this. I think really big one for me is having been in all these leadership positions and having survived 2020, it has been challenging for us as humans, for us as businesses, for us as nations, just every kind of way, really, particularly for me, for the isolation. Like I love people, I love dancing, and I've not had any of these outlets really in the last nine months. And you can be as resilient as you want, but let's all admit now that's been affecting us. And it's okay that it's been affecting us. But what do you think leaders, businesses, and humans really, really need to look at bringing into 2021 so that regardless of whether the vaccines come through and do what they're promising, and I know Pfizer's just launched theirs, and there's loads of other ones on the way. I mean, I live in Oxford where they're like trialing about six different vaccines right now, which is exciting. Um, but regardless of what comes, what do you think we need to bring into 2021? What do you think 2020 has changed for leadership? Well, I think 2020, as to, to your point, in fact, I don't think I know it's been just devastating um, to the world, to all people in this world, not just those in you know leadership roles, but everyone is impacted by this. You know, I, I, I know for me, Natalie, this perhaps is not your question, but I, I'll wrap this all together is, number one, I've learned how to be much more patient than I, than I used to be. Um, there are things that to this day irritate me about certain people that I steward and I'm responsible for, how they respond to things and all that. But now I find myself stepping back and trying to look at things through their lens, trying to understand how their perspective and perception of things is vastly skewed compared to mine. And in fact, mine might be inaccurate, theirs might be the reality, I just happen to look at it differently and how, and I try to put myself in their shoes more often than I ever have. Um, And that's really helped me. So, you know, slowing down and being intentional with my time with, with the team that I, that I lead and those that I'm responsible for. Um, But just being understanding, being compassionate, you know, as you are aware of, and I know this is not about politics, but Many people have realized in in the world that the United States is very torn. There are two very different mindsets, kind of factions of America. Um, the reality is, all countries are this way. There, yes, you have a ruling class, but there's a large portion of people who think very differently than those in power. What's always been unique about our country is we can put those things aside for the greater good and it doesn't tear us apart, right? I think it's just having empathy for others, being able to listen more. Um, and, and, and there are people who has, have opinions, Natalie, that I am vehemently opposed to. <laughs> 
But now I listen and I say, okay, well, help me understand, because I know why morally that's wrong, <laughs> why, why in my brain that makes you a bad person, but perhaps I'm just not seeing this fully. And I think with having that patient, compassionate, oh, we call it grace, mm-hmm. um, having grace for others. And, and, you know, some, I guarantee there are going to be people who will listen and say, oh, he's a softy, he's this, like people are going to run all over you. No, no, they're not going to run all over you because we all want grace. We all want people who will stand by us when we fall, when we make stupid comments or make bad choices. We want to kind of get um, a do-over, so to speak, right? Second chance. You know, we're the country of second chances. Um, and, and that's just kind of our nature. But having that grace towards others as leaders, um, I think is really, really critical right now, especially I know from me, Natalie, it's something that's evolved in me because mm-hmm. I used to be pretty black and white about what my standards were and expectations. <laughs> and I've not lowered the standard. I just have uh, expanded my spectrum of thinking like to say, that. okay, um, I can meet this standard. But maybe Natalie can't right now because, and I'm making this up because she's a single mom or she lives at home or she just got laid off of another job or, you know, she's in a bad relationship. You know, I didn't always take all these things into account. And now I'm really processing that a little bit differently. So if anything, to answer your question, I think just us giving grace to others, be understanding. Because once again, if you truly are a servant leader, it's not about you and how you feel about things. What's more critical to you is how those you lead feel about things. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like you don't even have to agree with something or necessarily think you would choose that path or that way, but you have to understand that other people process things differently. And so to try and see their perspective doesn't mean you're agreeing with it by seeing it. And that enables you to be able to help them get to a place where they can be more empowered, more productive and, and take on the roles that you're asking them to take on rather than being under the cosh and feeling judged. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, as a leader, it doesn't matter if you are doing things in your job, Natalie, with the same passion and intent that I have for it. As long as you execute the job and we hit our goals, at the end of the day, that's what ultimately matters. So my point is, if I have to inspire you or influence you, which is a word I'd rather use than inspire, if I can influence your actions and your thought process based on information I have gleaned from you and learned from you, because I know what kinds of questions to ask you, I pay attention to the little details about your mannerisms, all that. If I can help guide you and get you to the end of the race, so to speak, in the end, we all win. You're a winner. You run across the line. You're happy because you made it, even though you did it for different reasons than I wanted you to. But ultimately, you got across the line. And I think really good leadership is being able to watch and observe your people and ask good questions and then position each person in a different way that helps them get across the line. Mm-hmm. A real simple analogy, and my wife laughs whenever I say this, most people in life, Natalie, play checkers. I play chess. I'm always <laughs> thinking of additional moves, okay? But if I understand how you play the game, right, and what values are important to you, it helps me maneuver your piece easier mm-hmm. as opposed to making you do what I want you to do. If I understand you, Natalie, and understand your circumstances, I actually can maneuver you across the board much easier as opposed to just go do this, and just mm-hmm. go do that. 
so it leaders like that are aligning your goals. So how can you absolutely so that you absolutely the business needs to be? Yeah. Nice. So I thought we would just talk very, very quickly on when we're talking about understanding people and we're talking about what motivates people and how to get to a goal, something we talked about off, um, off of this recording beforehand was about using FOMO, about understanding yes. that we can move away from or towards things and that this can inform us. And I think we touched on some fairly deep reasons why that happens for you. And we started off this podcast with, you know, learning what not to do, learning how not to do things. And I was wondering if you could just kind of elaborate on that. Like, how do you learn what not to do? And how do you motivate yourself when you're moving away from something rather than towards it? Excellent. That's a great question. Well, I will tell you, and there are going to be people who disagree with me on this. I would much rather, Natalie, learn from your mistakes (laughs) than my own painful mistakes. Not that I'm afraid to make mistakes, but if I'm present and I'm aware I can really watch people and and see how they're processing things and how they're doing things and then model that and say, gosh, well, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, My father, who's passed away, um, was an alcoholic. He did drugs, sold drugs, et cetera, et cetera. By most accounts, I should be someone who does drugs, is probably in rehab, has has been in jail, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, FOMO, fear of missing out, I kind of flip it. I said, okay, if that's what my father does and has these kinds of results, I don't want those same results. So for me, because I don't consider myself intellectually advanced because I don't have that higher education, I just said, okay, well, I'll just do the opposite of what he did. So often when I have mistakes or I witness mistakes or problems or behaviors that I think, ooh, that's troublesome. I just ask people, hey, what'd you do? Why'd you do it? And then I tell myself, okay, don't do that. So I did the opposite. Um, you know, the FOMO here in America, I'm sure it's the same in uh, UK, yeah. is, you know, people usually think of it as, I don't want to miss out on something, so I'm going to go and do something. Well, I look at it the opposite way. I don't want the same result that you get. So I'm going to just completely do the opposite of what you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really served me. And, and this may sound odd. I've learned more about leadership from bad managers than I have the mentors that have guided me. Yeah. I really have. And often I've been the, the um, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, the target of a lot of these bad managers and leaders' uh, anger and lashing out. And yes, I was upset. And yes, it was unfair. And I watched many people get, you know, um, unfortunately discriminated against, belittled, all these things. And though I stood up for people whenever I could, especially when I found my voice, but I really absorbed that lesson and said, okay, well, they're doing this. And I watched how it made Natalie feel. I've got to make a note. I can never do that ever, ever, ever. And then I commit myself to that. So I've learned many things, not only through personal experience of having bad managers, because I bet everyone you talk to, everyone who listens to this podcast, it's probably 80% of their leaders, what you you would probably consider bad managers. And it's the small 20% are inspirational, they're mentors, right? But unfortunately, I really do believe we learn more from those bad managers. 
if you frame it right, but most people don't, they want to just quit a job because I've got this a-hole of a manager or she's a tyrant. And look, there's lessons to be learned in this. And if you put yourself through that process and understand what how it's going to develop you, you'll learn some incredible lessons that then you won't have to make these fatal mistakes. Yeah. So I know everyone says, you know, failure, you know, creates growth. And I agree, but so does other people's failure. If you pay attention. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I know this sounds bad, Natalie. I'd rather watch you screw something up and no, I, I from the safe the safe spot go, ooh, Natalie, that was not smart. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I learned. <laughs> I think I shared this last time, but when you were talking about this, totally brings up when I was training, I was not the biggest person by a mile. I definitely wasn't the fastest. I certainly wasn't the strongest. So we didn't have a lot going for me. But what I was was quite good at observing what everybody else is doing wrong and going okay if the guy who's like 10 stone heavier than me and can bench press me has just got mullered by those three people what do they do and how do I avoid that because if he's come out bruised I'm definitely gonna like <laughs> there's, there's yes like, no doubt about that and we were trained we were trained to not only be okay with unpacking what went wrong in front of the rest of the group so you know this the, the sensei the instructor would stop us and go you know, what went wrong there? And you're like, well, you know, it went for this person and they had a long range weapon and I should have gone, blah, 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 I should have gone here. So you got comfortable analyzing your mistakes immediately after the moment. So you're stepping out of the, oh, I did wrong, oh, I have to hide it, oh, all of these things. You're going into quite an analytical learning growth mindset and other people are able to learn from it. And we very much taught, you come up here, A, to get the sensei's focused attention because they're going to be able to see everything you're doing, help guide you, and you want that attention. You want that learning. You're like eager to get up the front, not because you want to show off in front of everybody else, because you want that one-on-one training from sensei. But also when you're watching, you learn from everybody else. So if they're doing that thing that somebody's picked up on you like last week or today, then and they get pulled up on it again, you're like, right, don't do that. Remember, don't right. do that. And, and that's that's powerful. And you know, you and I talked about, you know, change can come from inspiration or desperation. And this may sound bad, and there are people who refute this and will argue this. I use a lot of my evolution has come from desperation and watching bad things happen and saying, okay, I cannot be that person. Mm-hmm. I refuse to let myself be that leader. I refuse to put myself into that situation. Um, and I, I really have learned so, and, and, and this sounds weird, Natalie, I'm very grateful to the terrible leadership that I've had in my life. I really am. And for some of these people, I'm actually their friends now. I can appreciate, and they've evolved as well, but I've learned so much from their poor examples of parenting and leadership, um, you know, being just a generally not good person. Like I've learned so much from that. Um, and my fear is always, I, I'm my fear, my FOMO is if I don't change, what will happen to me? Could I make the same mistakes as my father? And I use that as a small example because I, you know, of course, still love my father. Um, but he was human. He was frail. He was he he had faults, and unfortunately, his faults got a hold of him, and they took control. Um, but I look at that all the time. If I want to evolve, I have to ask myself: if I don't change. Where will I be a year from now? What kind of example I, will I be as a father, as a husband, as a leader, as a business owner, as a, you know, a servant to the community? I'm constantly asking myself that. So there is a little bit of fear in my process, 
mm-hmm. but I'm leveraging fear to keep me going down this certain path. Does that make sense? As opposed, most people have fear keep them off their path to growth and success. Yeah. I use it to push me down that path. And I think that's where we both agree and disagree in that you're saying fear is an assassin and it stops dreams. And I say fear is one of your best training partners in that when you become afraid of something, it's going, this is the place of learning. This is the place of growth. And it's not comfy. And there are definitely times when I decide to turn away from that fear and go, I'm not ready just yet for this. Like, absolutely. Thank you. Not going there. Another time I'm like, right, okay, I've got my big girl pants on. I've had my vitamins this morning. I'm ready. Come here, fear. Let's train. Let's let's get some lessons in. And I think A, knowing when it's okay to do either one of those options and B, going, almost being grateful, like you're saying, for the fear and going, thank you for showing me what I don't want to be or what I do want to be. Thank you for highlighting this place of growth for me. But it's a really hard mindset and a lot of people don't get me when I say, I think fear is your best training partner. It is. It is. It can guide you. It can guide. Now, it can also keep you from things. But if you're clear on who you are and what your mission is and your purpose, you will figure out very quickly if if fear is keeping you on path or if it's taking you down the wrong path. It's when you're not clear that you can't really differentiate between the two. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why you've got to get a little friendly with your fear because sometimes it's going, hey, you know that cliff? You definitely should not jump off of it. Like that is definitely yes. a bad idea. And other times it's going, look, we're really nervous about this, but you've got to do it anyway. <laughs> yes, <laughs> You're right, exactly. you've got a parachute. You're going to be okay. <laughs> so thank you. That's really, like we're going over time and I love it. I'm just going, I've got a few quick fire things um, yeah. for you. Um, so what would your take home advice be for new and emerging leaders right, right now? You know, wisdom is not always having the answers. It's knowing what questions to ask. And, um, you know, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people new to the leadership uh, uh, realm are so enamored with always being right, having all the answers. First off, you're going to really suffer from imposter syndrome because you're not always going to know all the answers to every situation. But it puts an enormous amount of pressure on you. Um, I like to focus more on asking the right kinds of questions. Um, I feel like my learning is exponentially greater when I ask really good questions. And then more importantly, Mm -hmm. Natalie, I listen, you know, I listen to those answers. Um, But I think, I think it's, (laughs) I think it's critical, you know, asking the right questions. Are you asking the right, right questions of your people? This is not like a Jedi mind trick where I'm trying to take you down a path, asking (laughs) authentic, real questions to try to get to understand the mindset of those that you're responsible for. We think we know people, um, but we see people through our own lens. I really want to see you through Natalie's lens. If I could take your glasses, because we're both eyeglass wearers, if I could take your glasses and look at you through your lens, it will become vastly different as opposed to my lens. Does that make sense? It does. And, you know, for funny reference, 
apparently you'd feel a little drunk because one eye is long-sighted and one eye is short-sighted. So it makes the world very interesting for other people. <laughs> <laughs> well, ironically, I have the same issue with my eyesight. So they may not be that far off. Yeah, you've just got to line the eyes up. <laughs> um, yes. And then I think for me, just to finish on, what are you most excited about for 2021? Because I think people are going into this next year with a bit of fear, a bit of loneliness, a bit of low resilience. So what are you excited about for 2021? Well, it's my personal belief that when all, and first off, these vaccines are coming. Like we have, there has never been a better time in the history of Earth. Humans are, we're obviously the dominant species. We're not always the smartest species, but we are the dominant species. <laughs> and we have technology that we have never had, you know, in, in our, in our uh, history of this planet. So these vaccines are going to come out. They're going to work. But what's exciting to me is how will our everyday lives change? You know, often here, I don't know about the UK, but often here people will say, oh, I can't wait for things to get back to normal. Well, I'll be honest with you, Natalie, I don't want things to be the way they used to be. No. I'm enjoying many parts of this COVID, what I call the COVID lifestyle. Things are slower, they're more intentional. Um, I'm very much so looking forward to being even more fulfilled because I think now more than ever, leadership is going to be so critical in 2021. People who are willing to step up, take responsibility, be authentic like you talked about, be clear with who they are, be disciplined, be consistent. Like that's what's going to guide our society or our human race going forward is so critical. And the other part, and we did not discuss this, I believe women need to be in more leadership roles. I think one of the ails... One of the ails of the human race is we do not have enough women in positions of power. And when I say power, positions of authority, more prime ministers, more presidents, vice presidents, uh, CEOs. I think that is desperately needed in our world. And I really believe 2021 and going forward, you've already seen a shift here in America. There are so many more women in positions, in political positions, than there ever have been. And their voices are becoming significantly more powerful. And maybe it's because I'm a father of daughters uh, and I was raised with sisters um, that I'm this very pro-woman, but I also have been in leadership for over three decades and a vast majority of my most talented leaders were women. It's very consistent. You all are far, far higher EQ than average males are. Um, you can you can transition from what I call headspace to heart space much easier than men can, and I think generally women are more empathetic to those around them. Um, men, we're cavemen. That's hard for us to do um, because it's almost looked upon. <laughs> I think <that's> honestly, <laughs> Natalie, it, it, we're looked upon as weak if we live in this EQ space, right? Like, like I'm six foot four. I've got arm full of tattoos. I'm a big guy, I'm bald. I have a big old beard. So on, the, on first appearance, I don't look like what I talk about. But deep down, I've, I just really believe that women are just, y'all are the superior gender. It's, it's, I've seen it for over three decades. I've watched this happen time and again. And, and I'm very fortunate. I think why I'm the type of leader I am today, Natalie, not only my wife, which I owe a lot of this to my mother, who was a massive influence in my, uh, my upbringing and my work ethic, my daughters, but honestly, a vast majority of the leaders that I've worked with were women. And because I'm a great listener, 
and I know what kinds of questions to ask, I'd learn so much uh, about servant leadership from women. So mm-hmm. uh, to answer your question, I think it's, I think women, I think you're about to see the planet Earth, I hope, transition into this new phase of caring and understanding and and um, kind of a globalization of cultures. And I think women will bring that to the forefront. Um, I really do believe, and I hope that that happens. You know, I'm, I'm 50 years old now, and uh, so I'm hoping I have at least a good 40 more years on this planet to see all these things transpire. But I really hope and believe that's what's going to happen because the world desperately needs servant leadership, not just leadership. They need it, it needs servant leadership. And I think women are just better equipped to do it than we are. <laughs> See, yeah, I mean, I have a slightly different perspective thing because I grew up on, on the tatami in dojo, surrounded by guys your size and bigger. And I, I, because I was the girl, I got to see their soft side too. I was like the safe person to allow that softness out. So I would love to see a world where we can all be in that space. And it's about who am I and who am I showing up as rather than, you know, what gender am I? And yes. I love that. Like, let's raise our men and let's put our women on a the platform they've needed to be there for a long time. And anybody of whatever gender as well as you're identifying, like, I'd love to get a point to where, like, our, I call it our plumbing really doesn't make a difference in our roles in life. It doesn't. And it shouldn't. But, you know, it, our societies have all and, and we understand why it's just it's been hundreds and hundreds of years of mental programming that we just believe these things to be true. Well, that's the past. Who, Once again, I'll echo the sentiment of my wife. You have to give up who you are to become who you're meant to be. And I that, that as, as a people. Say that again. Say it again, because I think that's so, so powerful. You have to give up who you are to become who you're meant to be. And, and I think that you're going to see that, especially in 2021. I think you're going to see more and more of it. And I think what I hope, especially in America, and I don't know how it is in the UK um, and other parts of the world, but Let's be more empathetic. Let's ask the right questions. Let's listen more. Because if I understand, Natalie, what drives you, though your views and opinions differ than mine, I at least can have an appreciation. But more importantly, I can now equip myself to better connect with you uh, if I truly understand you. I don't have to agree with you. I just have to understand you. I have to be able to look through your lens and as a servant leader, that actually helps raise me up in my skill set because now I can I, I know how to communicate with you on a much not only higher level, but a deeper, more meaningful level. And I think that's critical, especially for 2021. So evolved communication, empathy, and EQ. Thank you. That's beautiful. And we're going to put a list of links out if you can send them to me on um, where people can find you if they want to get in contact with you, if some of what they've been set you've been saying I've been saying resonates with them if they want to learn more about the community bakery or like all of these things we're going to put some links out but do you have any final words you'd like to say before we sign off you know I I think um, for all of us especially with coronavirus things can be can be really scary because there's a lot of uncertainty but what I do know is in a world of uncertainty if you're clear with who you are and where you want to go You may not believe this now, but I promise you, you actually have more control and more power in creating that outcome as opposed to worrying about things that you have no control over. The only thing we control, Natalie, is how we respond to things. And if we're clear on our mission and what we want to do in life, 
believe it or not, our brain always finds a way. I'm fascinated by the human brain. So my message would be just get clear on who you are and where you want to go and, and be obsessed about it. Don't be passionate about it. Be obsessed and that it will guide you. It will take you down that path. Thank you. Those are some very, very powerful words to finish on. So I don't know about you, but I learn so much from that every time I listen to that interview. I hope it has been as inspiring for you as it has been for me. I hope you found a new way of framing your pain, your challenge, your difficulties, and looking at how to have those deeper, more connected moments with the people in your life and the people you're leading without necessarily maybe opening those floodgates and pouring things out that don't necessarily need to overflow. I also hope that going into 2021, this whole conversation has led you to perhaps a more reflective state, one where you can really look back and review 2020 And you can get that clarity that John was talking about there at the end of knowing who you are. What does that mean for you and where do you want to go? And at the very least, if you don't know where you want to go, do you know where you don't want to go? Because that's as good a place to start as any. It's not so easy to lead from, but it's definitely a great place to begin from. I hope you go well lead well, enjoy this festive period however you can, have the reflection that you need and recharge, ready to start 2021 in the best way possible. Peace, love and happiness to you all as you sign off for this year.